Welcome to the Mortison Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 16. I'm Joshua. And I'm Mike. And uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year 2020. Hard to believe we've got a new decade ahead of us. <laughs> uh, we've had a lot going on around here. Um, we have not been idle as winter has uh, descended fully on us here in Maine. Um, but we've got a few things to update everyone on before we dive into our discussion today. Uh, one of the things, probably the primary thing that uh, we've been working on here is uh, Joshua has written a book on the CSF Blacksmith Shop project that took place here back in August. Uh, he's put together a book and we are running through editing and he's into design on the book. And yeah. uh, it's it's speaking of the new year, you know, it's sort of like it's sort of the the summary recap on what all of 2019 was that's about. That's right. <laughs> it was about that project. Yeah, yeah, the big timber frame project. So, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm working on the design right now, uh, doing the layout. Um, so we got pictures to sort through, and I'm putting all the pieces together. And you you yeah. got back a, a bunch of essays from many of the carpenters. Yeah. Different aspects, Th- their thoughts on, you know, making things by hand or working together in a, a group setting or uh, even uh, thoughts about food and food prep. Yep. And so you're working all those together to, to form this this whole story. Yeah, there are a the lot. Project. It's interesting because it's, you know, there are a lot of different pieces, different kinds of writing from different people. And so trying to make it all fit together into this cohesive story is uh it's stretching yeah. i guess it's <laughs> gonna be great yeah, there's so I'm much good stuff it. in there it's cool so yeah that's the big thing i'm thinking about right now um as i'm doing that my brother sam uh sam klein he's a filmmaker in new york city and he's working on the film documentary that goes along with the book uh they're kind of two sister products so it's documenting the same thing this timber frame hand tool only project um, but it was, it's been cool to watch Sam put this film together as I was writing the book mm. and to kind of see these really two different, uh, vantage points on the same thing. Um, I can explain in words, a lot of the why, a lot of what was going on in our minds and what it was like to do, you know, any given step. But Sam can show you what the faces were like and yeah. what their accents were and you know hear the sounds of the axe yeah hear the sounds of the axe and so um the film and the book are intended to be kind of uh taken together um they're showing two different sides of this really amazing story so uh those are the two big things in the pipeline yeah so the um the the video the documentary is really close to being wrapped up Um, yeah i i think um, we are talking, throwing out some release dates um, where the film will be available. And at that time, also, uh, we're going to have the book available for pre-order. And it's God, yeah. a couple weeks. A few weeks. Yeah, yeah, just a few weeks. It'll be ready. So so look look for those things to come available this month, the month of January. January 2020. 2020. Um, also in the pipeline, uh, issue eight of M&T. Uh, we have... Um, most of the authors have gotten their manuscripts back to us. We are working through those and getting them fine-tuned and um, putting together 
uh, all the issues for or all the uh, articles for the next issue. And uh, so after you're done <laughs> designing the book, you will be at your computer again and we'll yeah. be going through design for issue eight. Yeah, lots of screen time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that between those three things and there are other smaller things going on around here, but those are taking up uh, the majority of our time and uh, our brains at the moment. Yeah, definitely. It's a blast. It's cool to see them come together. Yeah, it is. But um, we thought that we would do this podcast, uh, this episode all about uh, our uh, our efforts at a handmade Christmas. Yeah. Um, we have, each in each of our families, we've, both families have done a lot of handmade gifts. Um, and so what we wanted to do is take this episode to talk about a few of them that we've done this year. Um, and, you know, it's always this, you know, maybe there's like one big gift for someone, mm. a spouse or something. Right. And then there's this whole idea of like, batch producing smaller things that only take an hour a piece, but yeah. for more people. And so there are a lot of different things you can do. So we wanted to talk about what we did this Christmas, a few of those things, uh, not just to talk about what we did, but so that it sort of spurs ideas for you all um, for next Christmas or for birthdays or some other thing. How, what kind of things can I make for people I love and I want to share handmade things with? Yeah. So. And especially since, uh, you know, we're diving back into a lot of uh, kind of digital uh, work here and computer stuff, it was really great to have a few weeks of focused yep. <laughs> workshop time to get these gifts done. Um, and so we just also want to share that uh, that fun with everyone out there. Yeah, I was, I was telling Julia, uh, my wife, I was saying, you know, if, if it wasn't for take, if it wasn't for Christmas, I, th I think that I wouldn't have as much time dedicated to getting in the shop and making furniture. Yeah, uh, it's so easy to get caught up with work and life is busy, and I got a young family, and there's a lot of stuff going on in life. And if you don't have a reason to stop say, I have a deadline, I have to finish this project. Uh, you, so many times you can, you know, push it aside. So Christmas. Yeah, if that's you, a hard deadline. If you obligate <laughs> yourself to making gifts for Christmas, yeah, it's great because mm. you're forced into the shop. Even if you don't have time, yeah, you, make, you time. make time. And so it's a really good, uh, really good thing. So Yeah, it is. So uh, how about you, Mike? What did you... What did yeah, you well, every, every year... Uh, I, um, my family and I go out into the woods and we go looking for the tops of balsam trees, balsam firs to turn into whisks. It's this old kind of Scandinavian tradition. I'm sure it's a tradition elsewhere, but you take the top kind of whorl of branchlets on a tree and you bind them up around, um, to themselves and you, you let that dry. You, you have to peel the needles and the bark off and, um, it makes a great little whisk. And so I've started um, making them with, with little handles, either some kind of figured wood or a carved handle or something like that. Um, I bind them usually with uh, either split spruce root or I've used uh, like a hemp cord or um, this year I tried um, doing some with copper, like copper wire, which is kind of a neat look, but Obviously, I can't find it in the woods, so I don't know how many more of those I would do. Um, but they're really fun to make, and um, and you know they're they're sturdy. They last a, a 
a long time. Um, so I made uh, a handful of those for some different people. And, um, you know, if you're a spoon carver, you know, you give the gift. Your friends know to expect spoons. My wife probably knew that she was getting a whisk this year. Maybe not. But uh, she she acted surprised and <laughs> like she enjoyed it. So um, those are a lot of fun to make. Um, so I, I'm curious because uh, my family, we took down two furs for uh, Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. And we cut the, you know, we trimmed him, you know, because I just have to cut it to like right. 11 feet in length. <laughs> so Julie and I can agree on where it should be cut for right. the maximum for our, our room. So I cut the tops off these two trees. One was for my boys. One was for the living room. And they were pretty thick. They're pretty big. Yep. So what, what kind of size tree are you actually looking for harvesting the tops? Yeah. I'm so just curious. Um, the trees, we have... Um, Parts of our woods are, it's quite young growth. I assume that they were, it was cut over 10, 15 years ago or something. So it's thick balsam firs, and most of them are, you know, less than 15 feet tall. Um, I only, I pretty much just go out with with clippers, like big loppers, so I can reach the tops of the trees that I'm cutting. So none of them are over like eight feet tall that I'm actually going for so we go out and we just go and we count and we want like five branchlets and they're nice and symmetrical sometimes you'll find six which is makes a really fancy whisk um but uh, five or six is ideal nice and symmetrical and i would say the center um the center portion of the tree should be like no thicker than than your pinky finger um any thicker and it just becomes kind of really rugged and sturdy and heavy to use yeah but you can get too fine too, and they, then the little branchlets just want to snap when they dry. Yeah. So I guess it's one of those things you just got to make one. And yeah. Oh, it's fun to do. Make it's, it and break it. It is fun you know. to do. You can even just use the top of your Christmas tree if it if you have a decent whorl, and that's a nice, meaningful thing to do with it before you mm. drag it off to let it rot or feed it to the goats. Feed it to the goats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you made your oldest son a really awesome hanging cupboard a cupboard it is so cool yeah i've been interested in the um the swedish hanging cupboards um i bought one and i studied it and i I was interested in its um the construction methods in particular because it was assembled with wooden nails or uh trunnels that's one from issue six right i believe so yeah yeah that sounds um, right correct it sounds good (laughs) (laughs) um but so yeah, I've been interested in that, um, the Swedish tradition. Um, but also I've been kind of comparing that to what I've seen of New England vernacular construction of cabinetry, mm. um, small cupboards and stuff like that. Um, and I haven't seen much um, wooden, you know, trunnels in constructed cabinetry in New England antiques. Um, but typically what's used in the beginning of the 19th century and even earlier just hand rotten nails right um iron nails so um i built this cupboard kind of inspired by the swedish tradition um but i also brought in some new england elements um and i i did build one with wooden trunnels and it was really awesome i really enjoyed it but for this particular one i wanted to use the um the iron nails um and so it was a nailed together box that hangs um made out of pine it's completely pine and painted uh, so I actually painted it with milk paint and 
did some um, Eden, my son and I, we, we studied um, some Swedish chests and looked at the paint patterns and looked at some of the different uh, different shapes that were put on there, the different colors, and we both agreed on some examples that would be kind of cool. So I put his initials on there in the, the year, yep. as is traditional. Uh, and then we painted a bunch of cool stuff on it. And it's, it's um, actually, this is, I put molding on it because they almost all had molding on them. Mm. And it was fun because I'm so used to molding being in hardwoods. Right. Um, I, that's just how I've always done molding. But, um, you know, a lot of this stuff was, all these were just pine moldings. And so I was, had my, got my molding planes out and got them tuned up for pine. And uh, it was a lot of fun to do. I love those projects that this was definitely the more involved project for me this Christmas, but it is still a relatively simple, it's a box nailed together out of pine and then the paint you get to go crazy on. So I love the, uh, the inside color paint Yeah, that is striking. So it's the outsider. It's kind of like more muted, like earth tones. It's like an olive green yeah. kind of really drab color. And you open it and it's like startling. It's this bright, vivid blue. Yeah. Super, super cool. bright. Yeah, um, a lot of I've seen that a lot in New England antiques, but I, I think that tradition spreads around other places too. To have the inside of cabinetry just bright colors, super neon, obnoxious, awesome color. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know what, ten year old wouldn't want that. Yeah, and I'm I'm totally smitten by it too because you know you can have this cabinet and open it up and it's all dark and shadowy inside. And this takes care of that. Yeah, you open it is it up not dark like, in there. It's so inviting. Yep. So, yep. yeah, it was it was a really fun project to do. Eden's tickled. It's hanging on his wall next to his bed. So uh, with to have his initials on there and the date, it's just a special thing. So what's he going to put in there? Like uh, frogs and stuff? Secret things that he doesn't want his brothers to get to. Yeah. Frogs. Frogs. Yeah. That's awesome. Things he steals from the living room. You know, <laughs> whatever else. Yeah. Ten-year-old boy stuff. Yeah. But uh, you made something for the shop. Yeah. You made um, a gift for me. That... So last last year, wow, 2019 was last year, <laughs> um, we were able to get up to um, to see uh, Bill Copperthwaite's old place. And he's someone who's uh, really inspired us both, uh, Joshua especially, Um with with his book a handmade life and just his thoughts about living and simplicity um and he one of the things he did um he had this idea of democratic furniture um this this is furniture that in in his mind the idea of like a democratic tool or democratic furniture was that it's a a form that's approachable to pretty much anyone using very basic tool set so a lot of his democratic furniture is sort of designed around the idea of you make it with a plank and you nail it or screw it together and any like design elements to it, you can basically carve in or work in with a knife. Like he talks about like, um, like whittling the plank or shaping the plank with a knife. Um, so I, I tried to make this, this, this chair based on a drawing in his book of one of these uh, democratic chair concepts and there are dimensions in the drawing yeah it's not just like some doodle exactly i wasn't just working whoops working out those uh dimensions you know with uh dividers or something i i had the uh the measurements and so i um 
also wanted to really limit my tool set. So I had a saw, a hammer, a knife. I used a plane on the boards. Uh, that's about it. So, um, and I will say, like, just like Shaker Furniture looks simple, but it is not. <laughs> this chair design looks simple, but I would say it is really not. There are a lot of complicated angles to it, especially when you're just doing uh, your your uh, bevels and things uh, kind of by eye with a sloyd knife. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it a little tricky. Um, and then, you know, it was, as I said, nailed and screwed together, and um, I painted it. It's a very low chair. In, in his book, the chair is, the seat is less than 14 inches high for that it's one. A so it's, chair. it's a setting chair. It'd be good for, you know, milk and goats or uh, <laughs> sitting by the wood stove. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun, and I used some of the off-cut boards from the blacksmith shop to make it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so some of those we found... Uh, had a tendency to split a bit. So I tried to pick through for some of the better offcuts that were maybe less likely to snap in half if you'd sit on them. <laughs> but uh, it was fun. It was, uh, it's, it's the second piece of what I'd say, you know, Copperthwaite style democratic furniture that I've made. And it's, it's just really fun. The pieces there, it's really unique styling and design to them. The the base instead of legs, it has these. It's like three boards, right? Right. Yep. It's so it it's actually like it's basically like two boards that oh, actually sure. make contact okay. with the ground, and they form a the two boards form like two sides of a triangle. But then there's a a semicircle cut in the bottoms of both boards, so it essentially forms three legs. Yeah, three legs. And then every mm-hmm. other board has a curve to it, or some design element there's nothing straight to it really except the front angle um under the seat everything else has a curve or a bit of a swoop to it so it was a lot of tracing battens and stuff like that just by eye to get it looking like something yeah it's a cool looking chair it's a, it's good shop furniture for sure yeah oh yeah I'm happy the, to have the, it here making chairs out of pine boards well and i had um i had everybody my extended family over for Christmas in the shop and all the kids were fighting over that chair. Oh, good. It was just the whole time we had to, like, I think it's a kid sized chair. I think we at one point took it away. Like, all right, everybody stop. We just yeah. need to, you know, whatever. Nice. Uh, but it's a popular chair. So, um, one of the things that I saw you working on and see, we working in the same shop, we get to be in on the secrets for our families before our families get yeah. to see. So I saw that you were working on a carving hatchet. Yeah. Uh, Julia, my wife, uh, I gave her a hatchet mm-hmm. for carving spoons. Back at the uh, Carpenters Without Borders project, the, the timber framing project, um, Paul Cookson and some other people, um, I think Andy Hyde, a few others, were um, kind of coaching Julia along in spoon carving. And so uh, she was. She got hooked. She was really excited about about carving spoons, um, and she wanted her own hatchet. And so I made her a hatchet uh, from an old head that I got from the you know, the antique store. From uh, that one is from Hull's Cove Tool Barn, I think. Mm. Um, it was a Hudson Bay style head. That's what they call it, right? Yep. yep. Um, uh, and so it's a it's a small, delicate head. Um, 
I really like heavy hatchets. And Julia said she she didn't like my heavy ones. She liked my lighter ones. Mm. So I got her this uh, this lighter head and tuned it up and put a handle on it. And yeah, uh, she, and then Eden, my son, uh, he made the wooden sheath for it. So that was pretty cool to be able to give nice. that to her. So yeah, uh, she's now uh, ready to start hewing spoon blanks. Do you have a stump in your living room yet? No, but that is the first thing she said. So where's my stump? <laughs> Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. There's nothing nicer than like carving a spoon beside a wood stove on a cold day. Yeah. When the kids are in bed. Yeah. They're not out there playing with your knives when you're not looking. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, that was a, a good gift. It's one of those gifts that keeps on giving, <laughs> but it gives the other pay it forward kind of way that I, I give to gift that she can make gifts with and give to other yeah. people so it's so now you'll be dangerous. getting spoons yeah so now, now I get you're spoons married for to christmas. a spoon carver so you know what to expect <laughs> yeah every christmas i seem to be sharpening tools uh cleaning off grime because i'm always gifting tools to people yeah uh so it's kind of a fun thing to do yeah that's a great idea so what else would you make for your wife uh so um my wife megan has been um dropping hints that she would love a, a knitting bowl or a yarn bowl. It's one of those things. She's she's really into knitting, and all of us got socks this Christmas. She finished her, her first sweater a month ago. Um, she's been making these hand warmers for friends, like with the thumb and fingerless gloves, basically. Um, and she, she spins her own yarn and stuff like that. So she's uh, she loves doing that. And it um, anytime she has free time, which is not super often, but she's uh, she will knit while she's reading or things like that, listening to podcasts such as the M&T podcast. Uh, so she'll she'll knit when she's doing other things. And um, so, but she has asked for a yarn bowl because otherwise that ball of yarn that you're knitting from is just kind of going all over the floor and the cat's attacking it and it picks up bits of dirt and uh, everything else. So a, a yarn bowl is basically, um, it has a little... Uh, nice little curly groove cut into it that the yarn can feed out from it, but it, it stays in one place. So the ball can freely rotate in the bowl and it just cleanly feeds the yarn as you knit. Um, so I pulled a piece of maple out of the firewood pile and um, I have this little, um, it's kind of like a, a bowl ads. It's this Bulgarian thing that I got mm. off of eBay. It's one of those, um, that you look at and you think, I wonder if that's going to be any good quality or not. But I thought it was worth a shot. Um, I got it a few years ago. It was just the head and it was like $25 or something. Um, it's super lightweight. So that I would say is kind of a strike against it, but it, it works fine for small stuff like that. Yeah. So between that and gouges and... So you had to, I would imagine <clears throat> if you're going to have a ball of yarn rolling around in there it had to be like baby's butt smooth yeah yes that was the focus yeah so i um i have a curved scraper and i really worked it down um after the gouge uh you know running a big uh gouge through there and then trying to hit all my ridges again with the gouge um then i got that uh, scraper in there and just worked and worked and worked it um taking fine little shavings uh, and then I decided to just go with some like 320 sandpaper yeah. in there as well. Right. Um, so then I um, 
I shellacked it and waxed it, and it's pretty smooth. Is it? Yeah, pretty <laughs> smooth in there now. Cool. So, uh, so she was she she was very excited about it. I carved a little thing on the one side. It says knit, just in case she forgets what it's for. But uh, um, yeah, it was a super fun little project. I I haven't carved many bowls, but that one was. Um, that one was definitely fun to do. What was the diameter of the bowl? Um, so they're typically, the, the bowl part is in, in a yarn bowl. It's typically six inches okay. in diameter, and that's what I was shooting for. And that was the, the size of the piece of wood I had, too. So. And I carved it um, with the, uh, the pith down. So as you, you know, the top of the bowl is the outside of the tree, basically. Hmm. Um, so it... Uh, yeah, it turned out pretty well. Cool. So far, it holds yarn reasonably yeah. well. And uh, another thing I saw you working on, speaking of carving, was, and I just heard your rooster crowing, it was a carved rooster. <laughs> it was a carved rooster. Yeah. Yeah. You showed me that the one day. I was like, whoa, holy cow, when did you do that? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it was actually Blackout Friday is when Ooh, I did that. Yeah. Uh, the day that we shut down our e-store in protest of black friday <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh we we unplug uh, we, we shut down our store and we turn off our phones sort of a, a digital fast mm. and um it's the day that i the day after thanksgiving the day that i uh just work in my shop on christmas gifts so um yeah during that day i spent a good chunk of that day carving this little th- three four inch tall rooster for my littlest guy my two-year-old um, and yeah, it's funny cause it's like, it's the smallest gift I gave mm. and it's, you know, it's only a few inches tall and I painted it and I put all this, uh, energy into this little tiny thing. It was like, you know, a seven or eight hour project yeah. just to make this little tiny carved rooster. Uh, so it's funny because, uh, size really doesn't have anything to do with how much time it actually takes to do something. Right. I'm sure that knitting bowl, that little six inch bowl yeah, you made. Took longer than yeah. Yeah. Hours and hours of yep. work. Um so yeah, it's fun. I'm also not really a carver. I don't carve little animals. So that was there's a huge learning curve with that. Um so I took my time and was careful with it. Um and it's really folksy and fun yeah it turned out really beautiful it's awesome yeah and lots of lots of bright colored paint on it and the first thing uh you know he opened it up and he was just his face lit up and he was so excited and um it's funny because the kids and paint they just love it i actually um i carved some spoons for each of my family members as well and i painted the handles Mm. because my two-year-old loves this very delicate very nice wooden spoon that we bought from a friend it's got this blue handle and so he fights my wife for it and he gets it and it's just too delicate to give to a two-year-old and so he opened up his spoon which i painted with a blue handle and he said oh my favorite spoon (laughs) so the paint is always a winner when you're going to make something for kids make sure it's super bright colors um, and it's just very whimsical. If it's too serious, too adult, right? Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah. it's no fun. Make it whimsical. So, the, yeah. like the traditional Swedish stuff, is the way to go. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I was talking with Julia about uh, stuff that she made and stuff that um, that I made. You know, like the cupboard and stuff. And I just told her I I love 
doing this kind of fun Christmas gift stuff and having a bright blue inside and bright color paint because it's it's connected to tradition stuff. It's connected to folk traditions. Mm. Um, it's not this serious, polished, you know, French polished uh, mahogany kind of stuff for right. this elite, snobby sort of adult thing. It's super playful and whimsical, and you can tell funny stories with it. You can make animals, and it's just the kind of stuff that um, that people have always celebrated and embraced. And I think for me, you know, opening up that cupboard and seeing the bright blue, uh, it's just it remind. It's a good reminder to not take yourself too seriously. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just to have uh, life is beautiful and fun, and so why why should our furniture not reflect that? Why? Why, how could we build furniture that reflects the, the beauty and whimsy of life? So that's kind of the takeaway f- for me uh, this Christmas with the things that I made. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun to, um, you know, to, if you're working from within a tradition to just kind of explore that, explore the edges and the boundaries. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of things that have been done before, uh, and you can use those as as kind of jumping off places. Um, our our oldest has been doing a lot of carving those those little carved foxes hmm. that um, we learned. I, I think there are some in Bill Copperthwaite's book, and Kenneth Courtmeyer does a lot of those, and we've seen them elsewhere. It's there's a, a Japanese tradition to those, and it may be a Scandinavian tradition as well. I'm not yeah, I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. I do know it's a Japanese tradition, but he's been doing that, and so. Kind of everyone in our family got a different carved fox, or he he would modify the fox to look like some other animal. So mine, he made, it's a fox, but then he turned the bottom into like a butter spreader. And, you know, and just the ones that my <laughs> wife got are, are painted these happy colors. And it was just, it's just so cool to see, um, you know, that kind of experimenting from within the basic form. You take that and you, you run with it. Um, so... Yeah, Christmas is a, a, a great time. It's a great excuse to look to be generous while enjoying time in your shop and creating yeah. and exploring different traditions. Yeah. Um, it's definitely more fun than giving an Amazon gift card. Way better than that. <laughs> definitely. So Christmas 2020, everybody. Keep that in mind. Yeah, Block off plans. your calendar. Uh, have some time in the shop. And actually, you don't even have to wait until Christmas. You can start on something totally. this evening. It's probably a good idea if you're going to yeah. <laughs> do handmade gifts. It is. It is. Because uh, there's no wrong time to give gifts to people. Yeah. So thank you all for listening to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, uh, leave them below. Thank you for listening. Thank you.